Today's teaching comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Hannah Moore. Is that a name that rings a bell? Hannah Moore was this child born into obscurity, born into poverty, who God would use and mold and give her the gifts of writing and poetry and the ability to write plays and to use art to influence the world. Hannah would grow up by God's grace and become one of the great literary writers of the 18th century and eventually become a cultural icon of her time. I confess, like maybe some of you, I haven't heard of Hannah Moore until recently. Hannah Moore spent her 87 years on this earth writing and illustrating and publishing poetry to highlight the horrors of slavery. She was influential in battling back against the slave trade in Africa, and she changed the world that we know today as we know it. Listen to what Eric McTaxis writes of Moore. He said, she understood that the culture in which one lived was as much or more influenced by the arts than by legislation. And she undertook to use her gifts in God's service. He goes on to say that she didn't want to retreat into a religious sphere, but rather to advance the wisdom and truth of the gospel in the cultural sphere. Does that, does that make sense? You see what she's doing here? She doesn't want to retreat into a Christian bubble, but she wants to take the gifts and talents that God's given her and go right into the culture to change it. What's even more fascinating about Hannah is that she had this deep understanding of the truth that all humans are created by God. And she saw every single one of her talents to be used in God's service to reach other people with the love of Jesus. You see, God used this foundational love of people and her passion of the arts to push back evil in this world. You see, Hannah's love of people and her purpose in life is grounded in our text this morning. 
This morning, if you have your order of worship, you'll see your outline there. We're gonna see two things. That God created all mankind with a divine pattern and he gives us a divine purpose for all of our lives. So we're gonna see a divine purpose and a divine pattern. Look with me in verses 26 and 27, and we see our first point, a divine pattern. It reads, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's here where God is talking with himself. And he says, let us make man in our image and likeness. Now you must understand that when Moses was writing this, he was writing this to slaves who had been under the horrific leadership of Pharaoh. When these slaves heard this phrase that God God created you in his image, this was life altering for them. But for us, several thousand years removed, This is kind of a confusing statement. What does it mean to be created in God's image? That's a great question. To answer that, what we need to do is go back into the times of the Egyptians and pyramids and pharaohs and and all the way back in the ancient Near East. So you put your imagination caps on. Let's go back there. You there with me? All right, good. All right, so we're in the ancient Near East. And as you would be traveling around, in various places, you would see these giant statues. And what an image means in this text is a 3D model or representation of something or someone that represents a leader or represents something powerful. These things, these images would have been cut from clay or stone and images were seen all over the ancient Near East. We even see that in Daniel chapter three. When Nebuchadnezzar comes into power, the text says that he created a 90-foot statue representing himself. So as you're traveling along the ancient Near East, as you're traveling through all these areas, everywhere you would see an image, you would know that that's that king's dominion or rule. Not only that these images represent the king, but they were royal representatives of that king that showed all of the king's territory. And guess what? If you would try to deface or destroy that image, this was a capital offense. It was like you were actually hurting the king himself. If you think back to 2003, whenever uh, Baghdad fell and Saddam Hussein was removed from power, What did the populace there do when Saddam was brought from power? They tore down the statue that was in the middle of Baghdad and they chopped its head off. Now this is incredibly barbaric, but what it captures is the powerful link from the image to what the image represents. Now take all that historical context and let's bring that back to our text. For hundreds of years, the Israelites were told that they were nothing but slaves to this fraudulent God, Pharaoh. Their lives meant nothing. Their lives were meaningless. They were just human property. But this isn't so with the God of the universe. 
God tells Israel that they were carved from his image. Now, what does that mean for all of mankind? This means that if all of us are created in God's image, it means that we aren't primordial soup. It means that we are not just a little bit higher than animals. Notice what Psalm 8 says about us. It says that we are a little lower than angels, crowned with honor and crowned with glory. We see here that we are created, all of us, with a very specific pattern after the God of the universe. We represent God in so many ways. I'll list a few here. We, we reason, we speak, we create, we work, we smile. We experience love. We can have community. These are just a few things. And because we're created in God's image, it means that our lives are so very precious. Because we are created in God's image, every single one of us here has dignity. You have worth. You have value that nothing in all of creation can compare with. Nothing in creation is more beautiful and more valuable than human life. How do we see this truth working out today? Well, this influences the way that we see and treat other images of God. This is how it works out. This is why at the beginning of February, we're launching our mosaic ministry. Sadly, throughout history, those with exceptionalities have been seen as either cursed or somehow subhuman. But it's because we believe that all humans are created in God's image, we refuse to follow that cultural zeitgeist. We do not follow that. At East, we are driven. We are driven to create a ministry and to create a culture here in this church and all over Jacksonville that says, you aren't an accident. That you are worthy of honor and respect just the way you are. This means that everyone who might be professional athlete, dual PhD, to those with exceptionalities that are just so physically and mentally demanding that you're welcome here. You are welcome here. You are created in God's image and you were loved more than you know. And this love is seen in the excitement that God has over creation. Look at verse 31. Notice in verse 31, what, what does God say after he's surveying all of creation? He says, it is very good. Up to this point, he's created things and it was so, and it was good. All right, good is a great term, all right? We like hearing we did good. But as he creates humans, as he creates man and woman and sets them in this garden, he looks and he says, it is very good. Now, we lose the emphasis of that from the Hebrew to English. We could translate that, that phrase, very good, in, in English 
as one that says, with much force or exceedingly with all of God's might good. With all of God's might. That same power that spoke everything into existence with every bit of his might, he looks at man and woman and says, that is so good. Is that what you see in the mirror? Is that how you view your neighbors? Is that how you view your boss or your employees, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors? That's a stinging question for me as well. When we lose sight of that, we need to remind ourselves that our standards are too low. And we need to remind ourselves that everyone, even the most challenging person in our life is created in the image of God. Even when we look at ourselves and we see our struggles and fear and shame that we've experienced throughout life, when you look in the mirror, you need to remind yourself that God sees you and it's very good. What we see in this text is God's heart transforming, world changing, culture shifting love. And even despite the fall, he still loves humanity this much and gives them a purpose for their lives. And that's our last point. So we've seen first how God creates man in his image after a divine pattern. Now let's look and see our divine purpose. Look with me in verse 28. It reads, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This verse right here is where you'll often hear it referred to as the cultural mandate. God is giving here the cultural mandate for humanity. In this one verse, you'll see that there's five imperatives. Before our time, we can boil it down into two, just two, multiplication and dominion. Multiplication and dominion. Now, what in the world does this mean? For many of us, when we hear of man and woman uh, multiplying throughout the world, we automatically think of having children, creating little image bearers to go throughout the world. That is absolutely true. That is spot on. But we have to think about, what about that person who never has children? Does this somehow apply to them? And the answer is yes. This multiplication applies more than just having physical children. Implicit in this text is our call to evangelism. This is our call to sharing our faith and the goodness and love of God with other people. This way we create spiritual image bearers all throughout the world by those who we share the good news of the gospel with. And you see on top of that, as we continue to multiply the image of God physically and spiritually throughout the world, we're to have dominion over the world. And what in the world does having dominion mean? Well, this means 
that humans are to be the chief responsible stewards of God's kingdom, of God's earthly kingdom. We should rule in this world as many kings and as many queens representing the great creator and sustainer who's in control of all of this. This means that we should love and care for people and creation the way that God does. And what's fascinating about that is that these two phrases, to multiply and to have dominion, they're phrases of royalty. They're phrases of immense privilege. So think about that. God not only has created us in his image, which is beautiful and wonderful, but he's given us all this amazing royal privilege in life is to use every single one of the gifts that God has given us to steward this world and the people in it all for his glory. Now, how in the world does that affect your day-to-day? You see, this transcends why we wake up tomorrow and go to work. Because work is a gift of God and we reflect his creative and sustaining love. God has given you royal dominion over the workplace that you will go to. Now, pushback is really appropriate here. You might say, well, working in a cubicle doesn't feel very royal. Changing diapers, sending memos, administering medicine, going to class, showing up to the job site. This doesn't feel very royal. It's gonna sting a little bit, what I'm about to say. Stung me a little bit. You see, our work and vocation, it doesn't feel royal because we've lost sight of what a joy it is to wake up in the morning. We've lost sight of what it means to be able to have bodies that can get out of bed. We've lost sight of what it means to go to work, to care for children, or to sit in an air-conditioned workspace. You see, what God wants us to have here is a perspective. A perspective. Think about the person who's just so hungry for work but just can't find work anywhere. Think about the person who's undergone some sort of disease or some sort of accident and they can't get out of bed anymore. Think about the family that would love to have a child but just can't. See, all of these things, what it does is recalibrate us to remember that God loves me and the work that God's given me is beautiful. It's hard and oftentimes it doesn't feel wonderful but we need to remind ourselves that we are following God as we go to work, as we create, as we subdue and rule. You see, all work, legal work, all care, all cultivation that we do from earth has an eternal meaning and significance. You need to hear this. Everything we do legally that God blesses us with the gifts to do has eternal significance. 
because what you're doing is you're joining God in the work that he has been doing since the creation of the world. You see, God is creative. And as his representatives here, we have so many wonderful God-given talents to use. And when we use those talents and we work hard and the fruit of our labor shows and people are like, man, that's awesome. Like you did that. What do we have the ability to do? We shine like neon lights, pointing to the creator, pointing to the sustainer, pointing to the one who blessed us with these gifts, and we give all glory and praise to him. God designed it to be that way. But sadly, we know sin entered the world. We will we'll hear more in Genesis 3 about how that affected our work But you see, here's what sin does. Instead of understanding that we are made in God's image, sinfully, what we try to do is make God in our image. God, here's how you need to be and act and work for me. And instead of using all of our gifts for God's glory, we we squander his gifts or use them to build up ourselves for our own praise and worship. We ourselves, uh, because of sin, we see ourselves on one hand as either this giant accident of molecules or little mini gods where everything in earth is built just for me and everyone in my little kingdom better bow and act and kiss the ring or else I'm gonna lash out at everyone. I could spend 20 minutes giving examples of this, but think about examples from slavery. We see that work out there. Sex trafficking, wars, our ability to lie to people we love, gossip, betrayal. We see it everywhere. You see, what our sin does is it suppresses the truth of God. And it exchanges the truth of God for a lie. And instead of worshiping God through creation, we worship all of creation and try to put God on the back burner and treat him like he doesn't exist. Amen. That's right. It's a great segue to this point. But thankful for God's love for humanity, thankful for God's love of humanity, his love originates inside of himself. And his love is not dependent on us. First John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. And in the New Testament, we learn that uh, of the great lengths that God goes through to rescue us from ourselves and from our sins. We learn that God sent Jesus. And in Colossians 1, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he came with a divine purpose. Colossians goes on to tell us, he came to reconcile to himself all things by the blood of the cross. In Jesus, what we have is a dramatic reversal of the consequences 
of sin. Jesus came in the image of God to redeem all of those created in his image by giving his life on the cross to pay for their sins. You see, Jesus not only died, but he rose. And he is in the process right now of recreating all things. And what he promises that is that he's going to return for all of us. Everything is going to be made new. And for every single one of us that has faith in Jesus, we'll live forever with a new body, worshiping God and stewarding a new heavens and a new earth for all of eternity. Now, what do we do until then? What do we do until then? Until then, we need to remind ourselves that we and everyone that we come across has been created after a divine pattern and that every single one of us has a divine purpose on this earth and all of it revolves around the great creator and sustainer of all things who gave his son to save sinners and make them family. This is precisely the aim and focus that Hannah Moore had. Her love of people made her absolutely hate slavery. So she used all of her gifts and her talents of art and writing and poetry, and she used it to influence an entire nation to rise up and to cry out for change. Through her writing, she convinced people that slavery wasn't this abstract economic necessity. But what she did was she helped people see that slavery caused tremendous suffering from infants all the way to the elderly. And she showed the African people to be equally human, worthy of much dignity and care. You would think that's a lot to cram in in one life. That's a lot of work. That's a huge task. Hannah didn't stop there. She would go on to create schools for the poor and she would educate thousands of children who never had access to school or education or the Bible. Not only that, but she even influenced the culture to care for the equal treatment of women in a culture that said this about women. Women were frivolous creatures of mere emotion and sentiment. She was fighting an uphill battle from day one. Even at the age of 87, when most of us can't wait to retire, she was still going strong. Even at the age of 87, she was still overseeing schools and making sure the students in these schools were cared for. And just four months before she died, the British Parliament voted to abolish slavery throughout the entire British Empire. And at that time, the British Empire spanned two different continents. A year after her death, the historian wrote, innumerable African men, women, and children whom Hannah for decades had kept before the public eye as human beings created in the image of God would at last be freed from their chains. 
Church, her work mirrored the work of her Savior. You see, Jesus came and gave his life and rose from the dead to free sinners from the slavery to sin and the chains of darkness. Jesus broke the power of sin over us by rising from the grave and by faith alone, by no work of you, but all the work of Jesus, but by your faith alone allows you to come and find a new life and a new reason to take tomorrow and work for God's glory. The question is, will you trust him? Would you put your faith in him? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what it means to be in a relationship with him and to trust him, please come talk to me. Please come talk to me. You can contact me or Pastor Keith. You can contact any of our elders and we'd love to walk with you through this journey. We're here for you and we care for you. Y'all join me in prayer. Father, I pray that you would start with me and wake me up to what it means to look out across this room and see people here created in the image of God. From the youngest to the oldest, everyone in this room has been created in your image and is beautiful. Father, I pray that that would start with me, that it would trickle down to everyone in this room and that we would be a church that loves each other and our neighbors well. Lord, help us to multiply your images in this world through having children, but through being a church that tells everyone about the good news of your love for us by sending Jesus to come and live, die, and rise again. Lord, stir in us a fire for that mission. Put on our hearts the people that are in our lives that could benefit from hearing how wonderful you are and what you've done for us. Jesus, would you help us to follow you and to remind ourselves of this good news? Would it change the way we work tomorrow and even as we leave the university center today, would it change us radically for your glory and for your grace? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.